Welcome to the Fishers of Men podcast, brought to you by us at So Much Media. I'm Mary Ashley Burton. I'm Laura Samara Sands. This podcast is about relationships and your walk with Jesus. It's about the true stories of Christian men and women's struggles with chastity, sex, marriage, and relationships in a post-Christian culture. Welcome to another episode of Fishers of Men. Today we've got a wonderful show lined up for you, and that is about an emotion everyone experiences from time to time. Anger. Yes, as a follow-up to last week's episode on breakups. Basically, we're banking that last week's episode about breakups probably made you a little angry. (laughs) And so here we are again to discuss the emotion of anger. Yes, over some Pinot Grigio, so that's good. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers to that again. Step number one to dealing with anger. Have a glass of wine. 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 When we started this platform of Fishers of Men, it started out as a narrative. We wanted to do a web series that turned into a TV show that turned into a feature that we're now trying to work on, but before long... Finishing. I'm finishing totally yes. any minute now. Yes. <laughs> After all that, we wanted to make this podcast because it was the thing to do for free. <laughs> well, well, not, not for free. free. Not for free. It was the thing for cheapest. It's the thing that we could do immediately without having all these investors. Yeah. How it really started was in LA <laughs> and us venturing over to San Francisco where I was raised in the Bay Area in San Jose and we were hanging out and Mary Ashley accompanied me because I was trying to deal with this recent, I guess I can call it a breakup. See, this is where I'm already feeling myself get angry. Right. Because you never defined it as a relationship. We never defined it as a relationship. And yet it meant a lot to you. And so even the memory of something can make us angry. It doesn't just have to be something in the moment. Yeah. So I was involved with this guy, I guess Christian guy. And quote unquote, question. I mean, I don't know. There were certain instances in which he did express a deep belief in God, but yeah, in and the that's end, one of your deal breakers. He's right. a Christian, yeah, right. yes. But in the end, we really didn't see the same. In the last episode, when I talked about religion and sex being a deal breaker for me, this particular guy and I did not see the same when it came to those two things. He for example, was very blasé when it came to sex. And further, when we started seeing each other, again, we didn't necessarily define it, but we crossed certain even emotional intimacy. And he did not look at our relationship as exclusive, which I thought at some point there was going to be a certain threshold that you cross. And that was something you don't talk about unfortunately we live in LA right and that's not the land in which we live (laughs) because even there were things too of like he would like hold your hand in public and yeah act like he was your boyfriend yeah I mean I had this talk with him when when things happened with us we would meet out in public and he would just like hold my hand and like we'd go into a store and he'd he'd stand behind me and wrap his arms around me and it was it felt like we were a couple and it was just so confusing because then there'd be days when I didn't hear about hear back from him and then it just seemed like he would see me whenever if he had time if he wasn't on another date I don't know (laughs) anyway there was a month about a month of this and I was just so in such emotional turmoil finally 
decided to call him instead of trying, because I had a couple of in-person conversations with him. When we finally had this talk over the phone and again, famously, like just ending it, I don't want to hear from you. I don't want to like, for me, it was just too emotional. I couldn't even be friends. Like I remember when I decided for you and I, Mary Ashley, when I wanted to go to San Francisco just Mm. to go get out of LA. Um, I remember him still trying to want to like come with his brother. Yeah, and he wanted it. Oh, wow. like, Which would have been a total. Yes, yeah, but he was he oh, was wow. mutual friends with my best friend. Yeah, from when she lived in LA, and she, and I remember her texting me or calling me. I forget, but she basically asked like, "Hey, so he wants to come crash at my place. Is that okay?" Because she. She knew something was going on, but she didn't quite know the full story because I was just kind of embarrassed about everything. I was trying to be that person, like, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I guess, like, yeah, we can hang out. And I we're kn- super chill. We're super chill. Like, it oh, didn't dear. mean that much to me. Whatever. <sighs> Thankfully, he didn't end up getting up to the Bay Area. But I just remember that weekend just being. Thank you, Mary Ashley, for being there for me. Yeah. But just it was just it was a it was, lot of staring out in the ocean and sighing. <laughs> and lots of drinking. Lots of drinking. Oh. And, food. and of it food. was just on the streets of San Francisco where yeah. Mary Ashley pitched this idea of like, I wanna do a web series called Fishers of Men, and I was all in. Like, I don't think she had to get past the title before I was like, Yes, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> And I think part of that was this whole revenge yeah. mentality of I'm not going to do the crazy B word revenge stuff that you see in the movies or right. on Not going to leave like a flaming bag of dog poop. Yeah. Which but... you can order online, by the way. Really? Whoa! Yes. There are services out there. Ooh. Maybe we'll endorse them later. <laughs> or maybe we'll not endorse them. <laughs> well, you know, we'll when I lose my license visit. as a therapist, I'm going to do that. So. You know what my favorite, though, is actually you can glitter bomb someone. Like yes. You can, yeah, that's what? my favorite. For revenge, yeah, you can like have, have someone send them like a whole letter full of glitter and so oh they just get glitter everywhere. That's kind of a, amazing. And right, best. I know. Not endorsing it. No, but these are <laughs> options available. But to I not endorse revenge. Yeah. yeah. No, but, uh, but I will say that from that experience, and again, this was just a month and I, I definitely was so embarrassed about all of it because when I had that conversation, I, I asked him point blank, hey, are you seeing anybody else? There was this pause and then he's like, yes. Okay, I'm done. And... Yeah, I get it. Like we didn't have the talk. Like, will you be my boyfriend? And will you be my girlfriend? Like all that. But again, we had we had already crossed certain boundaries of various forms of intimacy, and um, and it meant different things for you. It meant different things for me, which I thought in a Christian context. Right. Again, like you were safe with him. I was safe with him. Yeah. He, maybe he felt the same way. Maybe he felt more. He felt the the same kind of guilt I did mm. which was so not the case anyway there are so many things this you is know gonna... what happens when you assume I know oh dear absolutely <laughs> yes but yeah, and, and in defense of the guys I mean certainly we're aware you're not allowed to defend the guys oh no, <laughs> just no, no I mean no I mean we're, we're, we're we are aware of crossing those intimate boundaries and those you and know those what? I don't think you all well, I, you know, so maybe you maybe the degree and the strength of it, you know, is felt more by the woman than it is by the guy. But you know, yeah. he's well aware of what he's doing. I would dare say, and and yeah. that he yeah. was crossing these boundaries with women, and that 
in any normal society, these boundaries have and these expressions have very concrete meaning for women as well as men. Right. And so, you know, the guy knows what he's doing in this situation. And... That's actually the thing that's the hardest for me mm-hmm. in terms of not getting angry is because I feel in a similar way, the times when I feel the most angry even now when I'm in a very like zen I've been working on myself a lot state (laughs) is looking back and feeling like I was misled or misused sure mostly emotionally honest I mean like a little bit physically if I look back and think but the times that I get angriest are about the times when it's like a prolonged like I feel like there was overstepping of bounds or blurriness of boundaries for a prolonged period emotionally sure and and one of the most interesting things to me mary in your reaction to laura's story is you started it off with not wanting to get angry and yeah i think laura has every right to be angry in this situation and and that's maybe one of the first things and perhaps one of the hardest things about anger is that like any other emotion like sorrow like happiness like uh, despair and hope and joy an emotion is there and it's a reaction to a real situation yeah that's so true that because it's like i mean it's like there's two conflicting things there's like on the one hand, there's a set of objective values. It's like people should not be treated this way. And there, on the other hand, it's like, oh, but I don't feel like, you know, there's a specific situation. So there's this whole like sure. objectivity versus relativity mm. that's going on at all times in our lives, you know? Yeah. And so that's why I feel like I feel like I'm not allowed to be angry because this is just how things are. This is just the way that we do right. in LA, right. and, you know? Like and, we just text each other 12 times a day and, and say like, why don't you move into the country with me? And you know, like, sure, let's go to Napa but, right now. But know? we're not in a relationship, you know? Yeah. yeah. No, and it's in, in a culture like ours where these expressions of relationships are very nebulous it's very hard to know if I'm correctly angry in this situation mm-hmm. because anger necessitates an injustice you yeah know, we have to have something unjust done to us and if we're not defining our relationships or making clear what this relationship is it's hard to know if an injustice has been done right because it's not clear you know right because in scripture like St. Paul does give us the permission to be angry in scripture. Like he says, be angry and sin not. But he's referring to like social sin or like greater injustice or whatever. But then on the other hand, we have anger as a seven deadly sin. Sure. When it gets rooted in our soul. And so I feel like, especially for Christians, we have that balance between like recognizing and then also there's that you know wonderful christian tradition of calling people out on their sins you know (laughs) right right which can be felt as an injustice by the person you're calling out yeah right yeah totally exactly um and and definitely for some people can be felt as like the most important part of a christian life is calling other people out sure (laughs) and and we even have that kind of stereotype of the angry god of the old testament versus jesus yeah um you know the nice gentle friendly jesus And so one of the things we should probably be aware of is that anger, at least according to St. Thomas and according to Aristotle, necessitates two things, a perception of an injustice and a desire for revenge. You know, in in a situation where we just perceive injustice, Mm. we're going to feel sorrow or despair Mm. if we can't Mm. overcome it. 
but it has to also be joined with that desire for redress, with that desire to get justice. And so when we're talking relationships, that justice is very clear. He hurt me, and I'm going to hurt him. Mm, you know? So I'm going to wear my revenge dress to the party. <laughs> and, and what is the revenge dress? <laughs> oh, man. So, we both oh, have revenge dresses. Yes. Well, let me back up. So Streets of San Francisco, Mary Ashley was also kind of... Sort of. Yeah. Sort of. I mean... I had been mistreated... Yeah, what we related. Sad slash angry. Yeah, so we were both in that place of wanting justice. (laughs) I think a couple, (laughs) like a couple of months, or you know, within a couple of months, you and I had both separately bought what we have dubbed revenge dresses. Yeah, which I still have. I never used for the purpose that <laughs> I bought it for. Oh. One of my best friends talked me down, which I'm so grateful for. That's, that's very good because yours could double as lingerie. <laughs> Mine, uh, my revenge dress can be worn in public, and I did wear it in public, and it did accomplish the purpose that I set out to accomplish, but it was not a healthy thing not at all, for no. me to do. No. Now, now, why do you say it wasn't healthy to get that revenge? Because... A, it was very selfish, and B, the end result was empty attention. Right. Well, okay, let's back up to the purpose of the revenge. Okay, the purpose of the revenge. Because, yeah, yeah, uh, so the purpose was to buy it and to wear it in front of the guy that has done you wrong. Right. Right. So, in one sense, I didn't use it for that. I did wear it to Vegas, though. So, I have to put that disclaimer out. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you wore your revenge, but not for revenge. Not for revenge. Yeah. Mm, jealousy. For... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in, in my case, it was with a guy. So, this is the situation I was recovering from in San Francisco. It was, it was a guy that basically I was just friends with. And he was like, one night we were hanging out. And he was like, hey, do you want to make out? And I was like, no. And I said no like three times. And he still kissed me. And then after that, I was like, oh, wait, but now I'm confused yeah. about my feelings. A kiss can change everything. And then he was like, oh, but, like, I don't even want to spend time with you. I just want to make out with you. Christian guy. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. A mutual friend of ours. Yes. Uh, yeah. And, I and, can slap him. And it's very fine. dangerous and, thing yeah. there. I mean, guys have no clue the power of a kiss for a woman. Yeah. Bastards. And, and let, let, let alone anything more intimate. Um, right. And, and certainly we experience the power and the importance of a kiss, but I, I don't think to the same strength or degree that a woman does. Yeah. Um, and I'm pretty sure the, the biochemists out there will back me up on that. The kind of hormones that go through a woman at a kiss or in any sort of intimate act are um, off the charts compared to the kind going through the guy. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I've completely derailed us. No, no, no. <laughs> Same kind of emotion. So, yes. But, yeah. But. It, I mean, it, and so I I was really angry because he, and I kind of still am a little angry, but I'm mostly, I mean, I'm like 98% at peace with it. Because for <laughs> me, it was just like a stupid mistake that I made because it's like, well, yeah, I shouldn't have been hanging out with him like late at night alone. And, you know, there's a lot... Hindsight's 2020, you know. But what made me angry is the point because I thought at least we had an authentic friendship and we were blurring the lines. <sighs> yeah. But then he told me, no, I don't even want to be friends with you or 
I mean, I mean, it, basically, he was up front to his credit because at least he wasn't well to his credit after me. the fact. Yeah, right. So Straight he he crossed a line. He committed an injustice, and then not only backpedaled to friendship, but went away even from regular contact with you. Right, because but then he kept inviting me over. Hmm. Right, expecting a physical intimacy, I right. imagine. Right. right, for and not a friend, not even a friend. But so that's where it got confusing, is because he still acted like a friend to me, but then every time would still act like a makeout. Party. Right, and that, and that's and, a radical injustice, especially right. in a in a romantic relationship. Right. So and, and, and eventually, re- but but I, to his credit, eventually he after I wore the revenge dress. See, that's my question. Did the revenge dress <laughs> work? Get uh, help you in the healing and getting over the anger. It helped me in that it gave me. I felt like the upper hand because I knew that was his weakness. Ah. But that's why I say it wasn't healthy, because I felt like. I was indulging the baser part of myself mm-hmm. because it's like I'm taking advantage of what I know is his weakness and mm-hmm. blah, 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 causing him to stumble, like whatever. Oh, there's all that too. There's yes. all that, yeah. you yes. know, but he had definitely taken advantage of me. So it was like, I was like, oh, revenge, taking advantage of him. And I could just feel super confident about that. And that was the night that he actually opened up to me and started crying and said like I know that I've taken advantage of you and I feel so bad and blah 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 blah. but that's still not gonna let me I'm not I'm not like uh defending the use of a revenge dress yes no it it, but it it does illustrate the point that all anger has with it this this desire to get redress Mm -hmm. and to to provide the justice in response to the injustice experienced is redress Short for revenge dress. <laughs> no, not in this case. But sure, sure. <laughs> but uh, and you know, I will say that I think that the point of the revenge dress, without the whole like near occasion of sin aspect, is having the confidence to express, look, like that I perceive as a wrong, and I'm going to call you out on it. And, and like so, some way of bringing it to someone else's attention while appealing to their vulnerability. Sure. You know, there's got to be another healthier way to do it. Well, yeah, it's, um, it's interesting that what you point out there, Mary, is in matters of relationship it's and in our own individual expression of anger and responses to anger, it is very difficult to identify, you know, what is sufficiently just in this case, or am I the one to exact this justice, or is there another way to do it? Um, and I think it's really important, as you point out there, you know, before we even get into the realm of near occasion of sin and all that, when discussing matters of the human heart, especially particular emotions, we are talking about extremely nuanced experiences. So one should never take away from any of these stories or from anybody's expression of anger that dressing or, or seeking that revenge on our own is the right response. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. but. What is important to recognize about anger, I think, is that anger for a brief moment takes a look at reason and the intellect and judges that I was done wrong and this is how I get revenge. But it doesn't stop to go, am I the one to do this? Mm. Am I the one to, or is this the right degree of revenge? Or is, reve- or is justice in this case best served in the way that I feel it is? You know, we we look to our intellect long enough to recognize the discrepancy, but not to measure it and not to figure out how to express it. 
Because yeah. it's so satisfying for us right. to just There's figure a, it out. Any sort of justice is a great joy. I mean, yeah. even even uh, prescinding from our relationships, you know, whenever we see justice done, it's a wonderful thing. And we should experience pleasure at it. And all the more so when it's a justice in response to an injustice visited on us. We absolutely should delight yeah. in that. The human heart is just so full of vile things. <laughs> it's hard to, it really is hard to separate this notion of justice versus revenge because, yes, it is. there's such a satisfaction to doing it yourself and, and exacting the justice that you believe needs to be given, right? Yeah. But we were talking earlier, I think off air, about righteous anger versus anger. And I think we had kind of looked up the definitions before we pressed record but anger is something that has to do with us wanting to control the situation mm-hmm. like i'm angry because something has happened against what i believe it how it should right be right some sense of entitlement some sense of control is taken away from me right the bible talks about and you cited paul saying be angry to not but there's that sense of god's justice and god's righteous anger where we must align ourselves to god's sense of what he loathes what he deems unworthy of his presence what he deems odious and i think there is the righteous anger of wanting god's justice because there are things that god god hates and to be angry about those things you know starving orphans or the like us treating each other poorly that's righteous anger but when it comes to blurring the lines to the other side of our own anger against a ex-significant other something rather that's when accountability really can serve us well and discernment and lots of prayer and meditation and being in god's word because yeah we bought revenge dresses because we were angry and we (laughs) thought that was the revenge we needed I happen to think that using it in a healthy way that we have done with this podcast, for example, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that my poetry is the best poetry, but like I've had the best things that I've written out of those moments where I was I felt the lowest. Yeah. Right. And and through this podcast, you've brought kind of justice into the world for other people who listen mm-hmm. to you and for other people who are struggling with this issue and its consequences. Yeah. And so that same kind of justice, though you never wore your revenge dress, you have brought justice through this podcast <laughs> in a certain way. So uh, yeah. I, su- I suppose Fishers of Men could also be called the revenge dress. So. <laughs> I think I'm going to call this episode the revenge the dress. Revenge. <laughs> Very good. But, but it occurs to me, listening to your account there, Laura, that part of revenge and, and part of justice... It's interesting that you bring up St. Paul because he also gives a very clear delineation of how to achieve justice in a Christian community. You know, if you can, tell your brother that he offended you. Mm, If that doesn't work, bring him before your peer. If that doesn't work, then go to the magistrate of the Mm. city. And so even, yeah, (laughs) even St. Paul. Can you imagine? Mayor (laughs) Villalobos. Well, you know, ladies, if your show ever takes off, we could do, you know, a Judge Judy version of oh it. Oh, <laughs> the spin-off. Do we have 
some cases oh, for you. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, I mean, and that's exactly what you did, Laura, with Mary. You went to her for advice on how to deal with this great injustice in your life. And one of you two, you haven't said which yet, but one of you two came up with the revenge dress as the solution <laughs> here. Um, I think but... it was both of us <laughs> somehow already both... had it in our minds. Yeah. Okay. We yeah. both just thought that it would be a good yeah. idea for some reason. So that so that was the counsel you sought, and and I don't know how effective it was. It certainly helped in Mary's healing. Yeah, um, yeah. So there's there's definitely something to be said about we are not good judges of what is the right revenge or the right measure of our yes. own revenge. Yeah. That's why we have courts to yeah. decide those sort of things. That's a good point. And I like about the seven deadly sins when you think about it coming from the Catholic perspective is like pride is the head sin and pride at its root is wanting to control the world the way that you think it should be yes. run. And so all of the other sins have that element of it, which I think sometimes we forget about. Interesting. But anger also has that element of this anger that things are not the way that I think that they should be. Yeah. So that's a way to distinguish it between like a great societal ill versus someone that did something stupid to me and I'm just really mad about it. But... Again, from Catholic wisdom, what we have is that the antidote to anger is forgiveness. Right, right. Mm. And and you bring us to several points there about how to work with our anger and mm. how to respond to it. And one thought is to take a look at the thing we're angry at and judge and discern, maybe with the help of a friend, whether or not that's something that deserves that amount of anger and whether or not there's a real revenge we can seek or a real redress that we can seek. So that's one thought. The, the next one is, if we find ourselves in a place where the thing we're angry at is a real wrong, but prosecuting revenge for it would lead us to a place of sin, then... Like a revenge dress. Maybe, <laughs> certainly the revenge dress. Yeah. Then we need to bring forgiveness into play here. And forgiveness is one of those things where we have that quip in our society or in our, in our vernacular, you know, to forgive and to forget. And forgiveness doesn't necessitate uh, forgetfulness. Forgiveness requires that we acknowledge there's a real wrong here and that I'm not choosing to prosecute it out of justice or that I'm going to forego my response, my emotional response to this in order to heal myself, in order to heal the offender, what have you. I mean, if you think about, you know, the ultimate act of forgiveness, Christ on the cross, mm -hmm. it's not a moment where Christ is ignoring the punishment for original sin. Christ is, in fact, fulfilling the punishment for original sin. He himself, the immortal one, is taking upon himself death in the human form, mm -hmm. in, the, in his human body. And by taking on that very punishment, he himself is not forgetting our sins, but rather healing them and, and responding to those sins and to those offenses, to those real injustices we have each committed against God and saying, I'm going to fulfill the punishment. I myself am going to receive the, the revenge required for this and give you all the opportunity to become like me and become like my father and to join us in heaven. So that gets us to a very lofty place, um, <laughs> but, but maybe far afield from relationship. No, no, no. I think that it totally relates to relationship. 
But I think the distinction is, so sometimes in the Christian life, when we're like, oh, I need to imitate Christ, that translates as, I need to be a doormat. Right, or I need to never be angry. Yeah. And and in fact, for God to take on all of our sins, he had to view those as a real injustice. And he had to simultaneously not only have the experience of injustice, but also the desire for redress, for revenge, for, for justice to be served. And so that's, I mean, if <laughs> I suppose what I'm saying is that at the end of the day, the nice, friendly, buddy Jesus really is the ultimate culmination of the angry God of the Old Testament. You know, mm-hmm. he is taking on to himself the act of justice. And rather than directing that anger towards us, he directs it towards his own person and fulfills it in his own person and comes to uh, that moment of forgiveness where he can say to all of us, um, you know, be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect, as our heavenly father is perfect. We also see, I mean, Jesus did actually legit get angry. Like he, he right. busted out the whips and like mm-hmm. turned over the tables mm-hmm. and, you know. So I think from that, I think there's an important distinction between being a follower of Christ and letting people walk all over you versus being a follower of Christ, loving and forgiving, but also establishing appropriate boundaries and knowing what you still need, what still deserves anger. Right. And if somebody is going to habitually commit an injustice against us and thus make us rightfully angry, we should probably set up the boundary of not ever being near that person right. again. Right. Which and is like a legitimate, like, thank you for saying that. Because sometimes I think we we think like, oh, as a Christian, I just need to keep forgiving and forgiving and forgiving. And we assume that forgiveness means I have to hang out with and yeah. be near and, Have this you person know. in my life. Right. Yeah. And it doesn't. No, no. Perhaps what forgiveness means is I'm not going to visit this ju- justice upon them. But perhaps what it means is... Uh, I'm going to allow this person to continue on and I'm going to remove myself from their orbit. And if they're not willing to listen or not grow from what our relationship, hopefully God will provide a relationship where they can grow in the future. After hopefully having expressed, well, this is how I feel about, Mm -hmm. you know, like this is what I think is wrong with your behavior right yeah Yeah. if opportunity allows certainly give expression to the injustice but that expression and maybe this brings us back to a point we made in the last podcast about i statements Mm -hmm. by giving i statements of i feel angry when you do x y and z or i feel as though you have committed injustice or you don't love me or i feel like i need to get revenge by giving that kind of a statement rather than attacking the person going, you're such a jerk or you're so evil or you're so mean, what we allow to happen in that situation is we allow them to look at us as a wounded and vulnerable person and respond with love if they're capable of responding with love. If they're not capable or not willing of re- to respond with love to our wound, to our hurt, then maybe this is a person we don't need in our life. Right, that's what I was going to say. What right. if like, we say this I statement and they're like, oh, don't you shouldn't feel that way or oh, Right, that's stupid, your problem, or, not mine. Yeah. 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 Then part of the response there is 
I am a person with dignity and with worth, and I'm a child of God and shouldn't be treated this way, and what you're doing is objectively an injustice, and certainly felt as an injustice, and so if you can't generate a response out of love for me, out of a desire for my good, we're Good done. Way. We're done. Yeah. I, and I don't, I don't see a problem with that. I think the problem is if you are acting, especially for the Christian, the problem is if you are acting out of hate. This is somebody who, you know, no individual is ultimately perfectly evil. And we should certainly be open to the possibility of their change. That's the reason we've been given these 80 years on this earth is to change, hopefully quite a lot. And so be open to that possibility of change, but at the moment, you're not somebody who is capable of loving me, or I'm not capable of loving you. So mm. we remove ourselves from that. Mm. Let's talk about even after someone is out of your life, how to deal with the anger. Like we've talked about one way, which is to find a productive outlet for it. Which... <laughs> right, to bring justice. <laughs> Yeah, which we've focused on. Hopefully with this podcast, we're able to bring some healing and right. at the very least, some fellowship. You know, right. we hope that you all feel like you're hanging out with us. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Pour yourself a glass of wine. Yeah, please. Yes. Yeah, please. Except if you're in the car. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so how can we funnel that anger into something positive? Sure. So what I do with my clients when they come to see me in therapy, I look at each emotion in two ways. Every emotion has a physical component, and anger perhaps especially has a physical component. But there's also a consideration of what is making us angry and the kind of motives and the reasoning behind why we're having that emotion. Mm -hmm. So what I do with my clients is I, I tend to address anger from both of these avenues. And so for a lot of people, being angry on an emotional and physical level means I just want to punch something or I need to get it out of my system or I need to do something physical. Yeah. And the ancient Greeks called this kind of explosive anger. This is the person who immediately reacts and has to get it out of them. And so when I have a 10-year-old in my therapy room, we, he puts on boxing gloves and I put on pads on my hand and let him punch the heck out of me, you know? When I have a slightly... Oh, that's so good while hunting. Right, right, yeah. You, yeah. I mean, you got to beat them where they're at, you know? And then with my older clients, especially the high school boys who could easily kill me with a punch, I'm sure, I make them, let's go run laps, let's walk around the building, go swimming, take up kickboxing, do something like that. Now, it's interesting. What this does is this allows the client and the individual to express their anger at a different object than that which they are angry. Mm. So at the pads in my hand or on the track or on the punching bag. And this is, while this is good, there's been a couple of studies in the last year that points out that people who deal with their anger in this way have a higher incidence of heart attack and high blood pressure and other kind of life-threatening things. And part of the problem there is that they have given expression to anger without resolving the object of their anger. And so if you don't take yeah. a look insofar as you're able to the object, you're angry to the person, the event, the thing, then and, and never solve that, the anger comes right back 
you have to go back to the punching bag and it comes back and you have to go back to, to doing something else. You're never actually addressing the issue. Now, does it always necessitate having to face that person? I don't think so. And I think that's part of what Mary and I were talking about earlier is that there's some instances where what it necessitates is getting away from that person. Yeah. And perhaps we can't get that justice or, or get that redress that we need. But other times, sitting down and talking to the person and... I don't know about you ladies, but I've had an experience two or three times in my life where I've gotten really angry with someone and we had to separate for a day or two. And then when we talked about it, we both got really angry again. But having talked about it and having gotten through it made that one of the strongest friendships of my life. Yeah. And in fact, he's going to get ordained this year. So hopefully he's worked on it too. But, <laughs> <laughs> but a minister uh, in a MFT. Right, right. I hope you guys worked it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was a seminarian back then too. So I'm glad oh. we did work it out. Yeah. But, but you know, it's exactly that is I think if the the problem is, and insofar as possible, you need to go look at what may, what's making you angry. And then talk about, you know, is this something we can fix? If it's not, is it a perception in myself I have to fix? Mm -hmm. And if ultimately we get to that hard place that Mary and I were talking about, where you just literally have to remove yourself from the situation, then God willing, Shakespeare is right and time heals all wounds. Mm -hmm. So, But if we are wanting to address it with someone do you have any tips for how to approach that conversation? Sure. I think I statements is a great place to start. And so, again, giving statements from the position and the point of view of what you, you are experiencing rather than what the person is doing or what the offender is doing. So that's definitely a wonderful place to start and effective in romantic relationships, in relationships with friends, so on and so forth. I'll admit that there's been many times in my life where I was unaware of I statements as a, as a rhetorical device. And so the only times I would redress the situation, even when I was really angry at the person, was a time and a place where I knew we weren't ultimately going to come to blows. So there was a kind of safety there. Mm. And maybe generating that sort of environment of safety, so having a third person present, a mm-hmm. kind of mediator, a yeah. witness. Or meeting in like a neutral place. Sure, going to the coffee shop. Yeah. And, and this is maybe one of the biggest reasons couples come into therapy, is not so much to ever talk to the therapist, but just to have a third person yeah. there who's watching and observing. And it makes it a safe space just to have that witness yeah. for the couple to have their legitimate arguments. I mean, if you never got on the same page with each other about how money is to be used or how to raise the kids, maybe you need a third person there so you actually can argue this out and figure out what the answer is. Right. And then sometimes in that too, it's like you want the third party to be fair. Like you want to be backed up a little bit, but I think there's a part of us internally that also wants to be corrected sometimes when it's a talking about a really important relationship you would hope you would hope yeah and sometimes we have to separate ourselves and experience that correction out of the moment yeah because in the moment we're combative we're defensive we're worried about somebody getting revenge on us and and getting our revenge on them and that's my own experience with anger is that i have to separate myself and wait a day or two and then come back 
Some people are really good about, no, we're going to hash this out right now, and we're going to work through it right here and now. And I myself am unable to do that, but some people are. So I think some people don't even need to. Like It's, it's not even like the, that's their strength or whatever. They like have to address it in the moment. Yeah, because yeah, at least... It, you know, insofar as you, you go with temperament doctrine, mm-hmm. you know, the cholerics or the mm-hmm. sanguines need to do it right yeah. here, right now, because in 10 minutes, we've moved on and we've got bigger, better things to right. do. Although I'm like a passive aggressive sanguine. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I think yeah. maybe sanguines that have been through like a parental divorce sure. is like a little bit different for them. And that's the difficulty with the whole temperament thing. Yeah. And, and But nevertheless, it's interesting we bring up temperament because cholerics are almost synonymous with the word angry yeah Uh, and so it's it's a worthy consideration here but it is dangerous to just say i'm sanguine so i'm never going to really be angry because we do in our life go through these patterns and these events and these behaviors that motivate us or dispose us to act contrary to our temperament right so so this is really relevant to me right now there's someone i have in my life i'm very close to and for various reasons there are times when i need to assert my boundaries tell her why things were not okay not gonna go into details because here we value anonymity but anyway she's, <laughs> yeah so but anyway she's a cleric so she is expecting me like at the instant anything is wrong she's expecting me to tell her and she values transparency like a hundred percent so she even feels like if i'm high if i don't say something in the moment i'm hiding something and i don't see it that way at all i see it as like i'm just trying to leave it to a good moment when i can bring it up not screw everything up otherwise because there's from my perspective, no reason to make everything really uncomfortable. But that's the way that I view conflict. Right. And and your experience of anger is that the weight of it is so much that in order to act in a just way, you've got to wait. It, you, yeah. You have to pause. Right. But she's seeing deception and, and those kind of things. Or they are seeing percep- uh, deception and those kind of things. So You can say she. It's okay. All right. Be that as it We can identify her as a woman. Right. And I, I mean, I have an interesting experience. I have a, a workplace where a lot of us are melancholics. And so oh, our yeah. anger is we get angry and then I will write you an email two days later and then I'll talk to you a week after that, you know, about the issue. But that whole time I'm experiencing that kind of pent up feeling. And I have to go to the gym and go swim for 30 minutes in order to get to a place where... I will react reasonably and justly. Yeah. And other people, they could, they have to do it right then and there, as you say. Right. So. And that's the thing. Like, I, I find myself, I need to take some time to process exactly how I'm feeling to even be able to put words to it, let alone words that I don't think are really mean-spirited or, you know, like, I, I'm not sure how to express it in the right way. Right. And so for some of us, though, that very strategy of the I statement is a very difficult one. Yeah. You know, we, we need to take the time and formulate it. And that is perhaps one of the beautiful things about romantic relationship and a marriage is that we have the opportunity to sit down and tell our partner that I need this moment to think about what just happened and I can't respond right now Mm. and our our choleric uh, husband or wife has the chance to go 
that's really frustrating for me, but I recognize that this is important for you. So both yeah. have an opportunity to grow in response to the other and to become more reasonable and to become more you know, logical in their approach to how they deal with each other. You know? Yeah, I think that's a really good point that understanding where someone is coming from, be it their temperament or just their personality or however you want to, like I'm super into Myers-Briggs, I know not everybody is, but just understanding who someone is mm -hmm. can really help with your misconceptions in terms yes. of, because if you're a person who prefers to dress it in the moment, someone else might not be, but you, it might not be that they're intentionally being right. sinful. Right. Yeah, they, they just need time to process. Yeah. yeah. And what we're seeing is external behaviors which looks like deception, looks like the need to process. And that external behavior looks the same. Mm -hmm. It's a person not talking. Yeah. What is different is the interiority of it, the, the intention behind it, and the emotional experience. And that's really the beauty of a, a romantic relationship is that we have the opportunity to see past those external expressions and to see the true love and to see the true internal workings of this person mm -hmm. and to, to grow and perfect ourselves in response to that. Yeah, 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 important. Yes. <laughs> Seeing another person as a fully formed human being. Sometimes hard to do. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're only experiencing the moment in which you are either angry or sad or happy for that person. And then it goes back to what we were talking about in the breakup podcast episode about how when we do the when we are nostalgic about certain moments with somebody, and then we may forget those moments of anger. Or you can, on the other side, also stay in that place of like I'm angry at you right. with all these things and forget about the good stuff. Yeah, right. And I want to say the benefit of anger for me in my life has been being able to recognize from a distance or beforehand, okay, well, this is going to piss me off. Right, being able to recognize triggers in advance, right. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and that's time and maturity and experience. One really strong positive, or looking back on the past and being like, okay, I'm angry about the situation, but I recognize my part in it, I should not have done this or this or this. Right, and we learn to be a more just person yeah. by having those experiences. And so, especially I think probably in romantic relationships and in our dating life, we have the occasion not only to become a more just person, but a more loving person. Right. Somebody who's disposed towards the good of this individual who's been entrusted to us and whom we've grown close to. Right, for sure, yeah. And I'm not trying to like, blame the victim. <laughs> Or whatever. It, you know, because it takes like, two to tango, right, for sure. Right, because it's like, the, yeah, there are definitely like times when you're like, okay, well, that was really, really wrong, and I was really betrayed by that. But for me, it's been helpful to not stay in the victim mentality and to use it as a positive of like, okay, well, in the future, let's establish some hard and fast rules so that that will not, to make, to make it less likely to happen in the future. Yeah. I think it's important to take our anger and, yes, hold on to the lessons that we learn. But I also think we need to practice letting go yeah. of... Well, that's part of forgiveness. Yeah, and it is. I was just thinking about a, a particular person in my life who can get really angry with things that are, like, injustice, you know? But then she can hold on to it. Like, even at when somebody tries to do their best to resolve a problem... 
holding on to that I could just see the yeah. the bitterness oh, it's and like toxic. or something else that happens later and she'll always go back to like that first incident yeah. and there's never this letting go of trying to give the benefit of the doubt that like this person is either going through something or maybe they're just, or that's just a bad the way day. that they always will be and you just you just you can't have to accept it yeah <laughs> or like being angry at cops because yeah. you know you had one or five bad incidents but you come across one cop that could be a decent guy but you don't give them a chance or whatever right. yeah. you know just like and, and one of the amazing things for me is this post-election climate we're in uh, people are so angry at a yeah. man they've never met and haven't really experienced a whole lot uh, from him. But the anger is there, and people, it seems to me, a lot of people are just ruminating on these perceived mm. injustices and letting it roll around in their souls rather than... Well, I think there are real injustices. There are certainly real injustices. But I will say that even before the election, <laughs> this, this, it, this came up in my Seven Deadly Sins, like when we were talking about the script for it, one of my friends pointed out that anger is kind of our national sin right now. Like sometimes, yes. you know, yeah. even collective groups of people can go through periods yes. of kind of collective sin. And the collective sin right now that's kind right. of in vogue is anger. Where it's like, no matter what side you're on, it's kind of like hip or cool to be angry. Sure, And sure. to ride that wave of anger. And even before the election... That's mainly. Oh no! What that, the Everyone's whole month like of October was a month of anger. Yeah, in anger. Yeah, yeah, and it can feel satisfying, you know. Right, because we're all hoping, especially in the lead up to November 9th, we all had this hope of justice is going to be served once that ballot is submitted, and for. 51% of the country, that feeling was validated. And and that's why you have these memes of how happy are you still that Hillary is not president? You know, those people are reliving that, you know, 24 hours after the election over and over again. Um, so it's, it's a fascinating thing because anger can, is something that we can feel long after the, uh, the original incident right. or the person. Because I would say those people maybe have been angry for the past eight years. Right, right. <laughs> um, and maybe they didn't give the same kind of expression to it that is being given in Berkeley or other places. Yeah. But right, there, there was a sense of injustice um, coupled with the idea that we're going to achieve justice at the next election. And yeah. so that, perhaps their anger was put into a context of the, the natural or the political cycle that our country has produced. But to get back to anger uh, kind of more generally, one way to approach forgiveness and letting go is you got to stop ruminating about it and yeah. having that memory of it. Yeah. And that's the kind of anger which is typical of your melancholic, yeah. is that this is a person who, yes, I take my time and space to figure things out, but I'll also take the next two years to think about it over and over again right. every single day, yeah. um, which is certainly a phenomenon I think many people can identify with. Mm. And so part of that, you know, yes, there was an injustice visited against us, but part of the difficulty there and part of the experience of anger is my fault. I am choosing to remember this over and over again and mm. to relive it freshly every day. It's, it's picking at a wound. You never let it heal. And yes, it's a wound, but it can heal. And you can develop that scar and you can move on. If you can't address the object and solve the situation, you can at least move on. And it sounds like in your example, Laura, that part of what's going on is that there's been 
the outward signs of forgiveness, but the minute something else goes wrong, we bring back that whole truckload of previous, you know, injustices. And that's another thing people do with their anger. They can easily keep this kind of secret list in their mind, which for the moment we've reached a workable Mm. situation, but the minute they cross me again, we're going to go full throttle here. And so that's the other thing. That's where the irrationality of anger comes in. We're not paying attention to what is just in this situation, what is proportional, and whether or not I'm even the one to give the right judgment here. Yeah, yeah. So, so how do you have tips on how to actively forgive or come back from an experience? Sure. (laughs) Um, Not to put you on the spot. No, no, no. Uh, That's why we're here, isn't it? Yeah. So it occurs to me that in my own practice of therapy over the last year and a half, the word forgiveness probably hasn't come up all that often. And so it's it's interesting that you offer me that that question. Um, Although anger comes up quite a lot. So uh, one thought I have about how to actively achieve forgiveness is kind of going back to Laura's comments earlier, recognizing that this person who offended me is a, you know, irrational, emotional creature capable of fault. And so injustice is sort of par for the course when it comes to being a human being. And though it's something that needs to be addressed, it's not something that needs to be nurtured or fed, and the offense doesn't need to be held on to and ruminated over. So that's one thought is, you know, looking again to the object of your anger. And perhaps a silly example will be useful. A lot of people are angry every single day with their laptop or their smartphone. Oh, yeah. Which has no intentionality whatsoever and can't possibly (laughs) perpetrate an injustice against us. (laughs) Oh, but it... Right, right. And... Another place where a lot of us experience anger is that road rage on the on the road. Mm. And th- in LA, no. No, never, <laughs> never. On the 210, not once, you know. <laughs> but part of it for me with road rage is that that's an older person, or you know, I take a look at the object, or perhaps that car is hard to see around, or they weren't looking. And in LA, I feel like we become extremely defensive drivers, you know, you have to be focused on the four cars around you in a way that you don't anywhere else in the world, especially, you know, in the Midwest, I lived in Kansas for a year, and no one there is paying any attention to the other cars on the road because they don't have to, because their life doesn't depend on it, I guess. (laughs) But for us, and maybe that's a good metaphor for us when it comes to anger. If we're looking to the other people in our life, the other people in the lane, we're able to judge that this is a difficult thing they're doing, getting through life or trying to be mm-hmm. just or trying to deal with their emotions or trying to navigate their car through the two, two freeway or what have you. So by looking at the object and understanding that this is not a person who's capable of perfection, Mm. then there exists room for forgiveness. There exists room for acknowledging the injustice, but moving past it and allowing the healing to take place rather than the kind of ruminative anger that perhaps melancholics and, and other people are prone to. 
Or even beyond, yeah, like the ruminative, but the like, oh, I should have done this or I should have done that when you're talking about a specific. Right. And that's looking at, rather than looking at the thing that offended us, that's a rumination on the kind of vengeance we could have. And what a pleasurable experience it is to meditate on the thousands of ways I can get back to this person. So that's doubly dangerous for us because it's a natural consequence of anger, but it's also a very pleasurable consequence of anger. There's a poem by William Blake called A Poison Tree, which talks about I, I watered my anger with my tears and I sunned it with my, my lying smiles, my deceitfulness. And I gave birth to this poison fruit that my enemy saw. He went and ate it and he died right there upon eating the fruit. And it's a delightful poem. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's a great so poem. Satisfying. No, go read it. Uh, yeah. and, and kids love reading it. I, I teach an English class uh, in Pasadena four days a week. And kids love reading that poem. And it's not until you stop and reread it that they realize, oh, we just poisoned this guy and killed him. But the initial experience is this is really delightful poem because we got our revenge. Yeah. And, and William Blake is very masterful about kind of drawing that out. So yeah, there are two dangers there with anger is this kind of habitual meditation on what angered me and that produces and, and you know has me relive the offense over and over again. And then there's the danger of meditating on that revenge that can yeah. take place and when am I going to get it. To avoid the first, that is the kind of rumination on the offense, really does necessitate us to do some kind of thought uh, stopping, you know, acknowledge in yourself, oh, I'm thinking about that again. How can I distract myself? Or, as Aristotle says, you know, pick something opposed to that emotion. He offended me. What's something he did good once? What is something they did well? Mm. And this is advice we give our couples in couples therapy all the time. Don't correct your spouse until you've complimented them at least 10 times. Mm. Oh, yeah. There's that um, for every negative interaction, you have to have 10 positive ones. Right. right, and those are the right. couples that succeed, or the ones hmm. that, and but the interactions can be not just verbal, but no, no, yeah. they could be emotional, a kind of acknowledgement of the presence, you know, all those nuances that go into a relationship. And since this is a podcast based on life in LA, I'll point out that that ratio was developed by Phil, the Lakers coach. Phil oh. Jackson? Jackson. Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, great. So I'm a wonderful athlete here. Right. <laughs> um, so Phil Jackson's the one who did the study on that. Oh. And his question was, you know, what's it going to take to get the new guy versus the experienced guy to take my corrections? And the younger the player was, the more compliments were necessary before a correction could be received, could be profitably received. The older guys who had been there for a couple of years, they needed five, ten compliments before a correction. The new guys needed like 25 or 30. Mm. So I imagine that's part of why those initial stages of a romance are so delightful. Yeah. And and so wonderful, so that the impression and the experience that this person really loves me sinks in deep before we ever get to that point of conflict or that mm, point of correction. So that makes a lot of sense, yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so anyways, when you're angry at somebody, remember the good thing they've done for you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Gratitude. Yeah. Or make the compliment sandwich. With, or <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> we're like positive, negative, 
positive. Yeah. Right. And we, we do this with students all the time mm-hmm. and, and with clients in the therapy room. You did this well. You could have done this better. And <laughs> you did. I really like this also. Mm-hmm. And I feel like kids see right through that. But anyways, <laughs> the emotional experience is nevertheless right. the same. And of course, the key to all of that is you have to be genuinely reacting to good things. To just use that as a rhetorical device is really dangerous because then people do see right through it. Yeah. And so that's something, especially with my couples, I always remind them, make sure your compliments are genuine ones because otherwise the partner's going to see right through it and that's going to be worse than if you just came out with an insult. Yeah. So. That's good. Yeah. It's dangerous. (laughs) Dangerous. (laughs) Do you have any other thoughts on anger? Oh my, I could go on for days. I'm sure. <laughs> um, nothing immediately. Yeah. <laughs> Check out my own podcast uh, <laughs> <laughs> on my website, danieljohnsonmft.com. I have one little episode on anger where I just go through St. Thomas. And then I have another one where I read and talk about that poem, Poison Tree, which is a lot of fun. So I recommend, if nothing else from this podcast, mm. go read that poem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, great. That's awesome. Yeah. Great. I'm glad that we ended on kind of a positive feeling. <laughs> With the sandwich. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> versus versus just like us throwing We've gone from dresses to sandwich, yes. Yeah. Glass <laughs> yeah. all over my floor. <laughs> but it is interesting. Like you said, the kids really love reading the poem. It's like there's something so primal about oh, yeah. Absolutely. And anger. And, anger. and keep in mind, what is there in anger, what is present in that revenge is ultimately a desire for justice yeah which is a good thing right and the difficulty is that we are really bad judges of what is just in our own <laughs> oh, in our own regard true. yeah and or what needs to be done yeah so we should experience that pleasure it's not like a guilty pleasure we should be happy that justice is being served and that person is being corrected and yeah. and made more virtuous mm-hmm. yeah all right well daniel johnson <laughs> mft danielmft.com and your podcast can be found on your website and it is color of thought yes color of thought podcast and hopefully we'll get on itunes here shortly yeah yeah and daniel uh, practices out of uh, pasadena so if you're looking for a great mft please go and see our friend so people can contact you through your site yeah you can get me through my site i'm also with still point family resources and you could check out their website as well stillpointfamilyresources.com i'm an intern with them uh, under the supervision of esther bluel and I, as Mary said, I see clients out of Pasadena and I volunteer once a week in downtown LA. Great. And we'll have all of that information in our show notes. Yeah. So thank you again. Thank, thank you, you, ladies. Part this was two. wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for listening to our podcast. This has been another episode of Fishers of Men. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, please email us at fishersofmenpodcast at gmail.com or find us on our website at fishersofmenpodcast.com. We are also on Facebook under Fishers of Men. Follow us on Twitter at at LA Gone Fishing or on Instagram at Fishers of Men Podcast. There is an underscore after each word. Please also remember to rate and make comments on iTunes if you feel so inclined. It's really important so that other people can discover our podcast. I'm Larson Mary Sams. I'm Mary Ashley Burton. Until next time, keep swimming.